Hello, welcome to 365 Dates of Travel with Fran. I'm Fran. Welcome to my podcast. The main aim for this podcast is to make you smile from something I say and or laugh at something I did. So feel free to laugh away at me and at my expense. That's what I'm here for. Hello and welcome to this week's podcast. This week we're talking all about the June chapter of the book, 365 Dates of Travel, The Second Six Months. So this book will be coming out soon on the 23rd of July. It's a funny month, June. On the outset, it might seem not that exciting, but really there's all sorts of interesting things underneath the names of places. So in this month, so I start off, well, actually normally I do it in order of years, don't I? So the furthest story back is a story from in London in 1993. I've got some tidbits from Denmark in 1996. Then we've got Las Vegas after a storm chasing tour in 2017 with a bit of a work theme in there. Sorry, make that 2019. And then Peru in 2018, which is a source of so many stories. And then we jump all the way forward to after the pandemic into traveling around Australia in 2022. Where shall I start? There's so many stories I've got to tell you about today. So seeing as I've entitled this episode, that time I picked up hitchhikers in Peru, maybe we should start in Peru. I do often sometimes feel a little bit bad about the titles I come up with because obviously I have the title based on something that's kind of exciting that happens, but it's not always the first thing I talk about. And some people might start listening and think, what the hell has this title got to do with this story? So apologies if that has happened to you, but it's really hard because there are so many different stories in each trip and I can't title will make the title after all of them all in one, although that is a good challenge. So maybe one day I will try and do that and who knows what I'll come up with. But Peru, wow, it was a big trip, but it was actually meant to be even a bigger trip. One of the tours got cancelled. So originally I had three tours and a few days to do some extra things that I wanted to do that were a bit more on the luxury side that aren't always included in tours or not the tours that I take anyway. And so it was a a big kerfuffle because I had everything planned. I had tour one, tour two, tour three. And of course, to be annoying, it was tour two that was cancelled. It would have been a lot easier if it had been tour one or tour three, but no, it was tour two. I was able to condense the tours a little bit, um, changing the dates, but I didn't actually, the, the tours just weren't back to back. And again, there were different tour companies, so they don't match up. Now, it's at this point I realise I have had my heater on while I've started recording. The plan is usually to turn it off just before I start recording because otherwise the room gets rather cold. It is about 12.30 in the morning, my time. So it's a great time to do recording because there's not as many background noises, but being winter in Melbourne, it is cold and I do need the heater on. So it'll be interesting to see if you can't hear any heating noise at all 
even leading up to this little interlude. Um, That's the magic of podcast editing software. It's so exciting. I do not do that manually. I will admit that now because that is way beyond my capabilities. But if my company that I use gets rid of that noise, then all to it. Well done. Thank you. (laughs) Because I am likely to, to forget to turn the heater on. I mean off. Now, where were we? We were talking about Peru and tours cancelling. And yeah, so unfortunately, the tour that was cancelled was quite, it was, it included the hardest places to get to. So I tried to be able to get to those places on my own and it just didn't appear safe enough. Like I've said previously, people think I'm brave, but I'm really not. And it just didn't seem safe to try and do it on my own. A couple of places I did find in a day tour or something here, but a lot of them had minimum requirements and there was no guarantee that other people would book. Hence why the tour was cancelled because not a lot of, no one else booked basically. (laughs) There were two other people who were waiting to see if somebody else joined. I think we needed four people to join for the tour to go ahead. So even if those two people had joined, it still wasn't a guaranteed departure. So they never got around to even paying their deposit. Whereas I paid my deposit, which they eventually gave back to me. And, but yeah, it's obviously parts of Peru that the average tourist to Peru is not interested in but to me it was really it's the really older even the the oldest parts of Peru sort of even pre-Inca but never mind one day if I ever get a chance I'll go back but it's at this stage of my traveling sort of life my philosophy was that I wanted to do everything like not drop anything or you know miss out on anything because the chances were well I didn't plan on ever going back it was like I don't have time to go back if I wanting to go to over 190 countries therefore I had to do everything while I was there because that would be the only chance to get there yeah of course that's not always going to be the case and eh, I really doubt I'm going to make it to 190 countries seeing as my travel attempts or not travel attempts but my travel interest has sort of changed a bit over the last few years with both the pandemic and of course writing this I realize I've done so much more than the average person and I have so much more than I even think I realized I'd done and so I haven't quite got that desperate need that I had pre-pandemic it seems today is all about tangents. I don't know why I've gone off on so many tangents already. It's only We're only a few minutes into the podcast. Okay, I will try and rein it in and stick to the topic. And what was it? The topic we were talking about was Peru. So I did manage to change the dates of the tours, but I still had, it was about, oh, I think it was about 10 day gap in between again. Actually, maybe only eight. I don't think it was much as the one in Rome which I had last month, that was definitely the biggest. So it must have only been about eight days. And I think I'm over-exaggerating. I arrived on the 2nd of June and I left on the 8th of June to do a couple of things. So it must have only been... All right, let's just get over that and say it was about a week. So (laughs) during that week, it was a relaxed time, but I also achieved quite a lot. So the story in the book starts, um, so I'm in Cusco and I chose an upmarket hotel to help me feel sort of safe being in. South America has always been a little bit scary to me. I know 
people find that weird because they find Africa is scary to them, but I find South America is a bit more scary for me. For I have no exact reason why. It just makes me a little bit nervous. Um, so I wanted to feel safe and secure. So I stayed in an upmarket hotel and it was an excellent choice, except for the fact that it was on a hill. Now, Cusco has a lot of hills, but not everything was high on a hill, but I did have to go up and down the hill every day in order to go into town. But the hotel itself was amazing. It was an upside down hotel in that you entered on the ground floor, so to speak, and then the hotel went down the hill. So you went down in the lift to get to every other floor after the reception. So that led to a lot of views. So there were some views from all over the place. I had a sort of slight view from my room, but some of the views from the other lounge areas were just spectacular. And I did utilize the extra areas, the lounge. And I often, all the time, I had it to myself. So there was a lounge room I used. Um, I utilized the unlimited cocoa tea that they had in the reception. Basically, cocoa tea helps you with the adjustment to the altitude and so you need to drink a lot of fluids and cocoa tea is a really good fluid because the cocoa also helps you. Um, There's no high or anything, it's from the cocaine, same plant as the cocaine but you don't get anything like that. It's hydrating and this helps you adjust to the altitude. Now I didn't pay for the extra extra expensive hotels where they actually pipe oxygen into the rooms to help people acclimatize. So if you were coming directly from sea level to Cusco and staying like two days trying to see everything and then leaving again, then you wouldn't have time to adjust to the altitude. So it's not a bad idea to have that extra oxygen pumped into your room. It will help you, but it's still a little bit weird too. It was quite a lot of money to to stay in those hotels and it must be weird just to have, I don't know if you can tell, but maybe they're just saying they're putting extra oxygen in there. But every hotel reception has oxygen tanks, little mini ones that you can buy, handheld ones that you can take on your own and access to other oxygen in their sort of medical center because it's a real thing. And I could tell you lots of stories just from my trip. Most of the stories happened on the first trip, which unfortunately isn't in this book. So at some point one day I will tell you a bit more about the Peru and the visits to hospitals and stuff that my fellow tourmates ended up having to make during their trip. But the hotel also had a restaurant which sort of formed obviously the buffet breakfast which was included so I had a good breakfast every day and there was a bar sort of off the side of the restaurant which had a bar food menu where I could get quite good food and actually sit and have it there on my own without feeling like everybody could see me sitting on my own while I was eating. And of course there was also room service so I could have it delivered to my room but Sometimes it's nice to sit somewhere else and have it and the hotel was just, the setting was just beautiful. So I made a good choice there. Very happy. In trying to do everything and doing things sort of sometimes the more luxurious way, I did do a bit of doubling up on this trip. So the first tour we did have a day in Machu Picchu and we took the train. Was it the fancy train? So I wanted to take the fancy train. I mean, I've always heard of the Hiram Bingham train. So I did do that on my 
um, time on my own. So I did go to Machu Picchu twice, but I mean, what is so wrong with that? And I did really enjoy the second visit and the train. But I also did another train trip, which I talk about in the book, and it's on the Titicaca train. And that was a perfect train for one because they configured the train each trip or each day for the exact bookings that they had. So me being a single booking, they made a special single spot just for me. It wasn't a booking or a table for two that was sized down to one. It was just a table and a chair for one, which I really appreciated. Travel is really geared towards people's tra- people traveling in twos. It's really frustrating as a solo traveler. It has improved a little bit over the years, but still I really appreciate the odd chance that comes up or the odd situation that comes up where it was made specifically for one. But the Peru trip in general ended up being the trip that kept on giving. Now, I talk in... A later story in the book in July about a gorilla t-shirt and that gorilla t-shirt maybe being in quarantine. Now there's a spoiler alert here so just be prepared. So in the Peru I talk about being bitten by mosquitoes but it wasn't until later that I discovered that they weren't mosquitoes at all that were biting us. They were bed bugs. So the gorilla t-shirt was in quarantine from the bed bugs. Their little legs, these bed bugs little legs, they can't handle slippery surfaces so they can't escape plastic boxes or bathtubs which I also mention at a later stage in this book. So that's in September I think. So this Peru story just keeps perusing along. Sorry. (laughs) So I threw out a lot of stuff, including my wooden bed and my wooden dining table and a wooden chest of drawers and shoes, some of my favorite pairs of shoes. I really should have put them in quarantine and I don't know why I didn't, but it's too late now. So everything that didn't get thrown out that was potentially contaminated or had bed bugs through it was put in, they were put in plastic boxes. The maximum lifespan of bed bugs is about 12 months or 18 months. So I went the 18-month route and locked everything away. I bought new bed, new sheets, new travel bag, packing cubes, clothes. I spent thousands of dollars trying to get rid of and ensure safety from these hitchhikers from Peru. So... In hindsight, it would have been cheaper to pay for the luxury boat version that I chose not to pay for, but overall, I think I would have been ahead. There are some things still in quarantine because I just haven't got around to unpacking everything, so some of those things will never end up being used again. I'm assuming because they've just been locked away for too long and I've obviously lived without them for all this amount of time. So it will be interesting once I do completely unpack those. But I do have a lot of empty plastic boxes around the house and the garage. Some of these boxes now form the table legs of my second desk. So I only bought the tabletop from Ikea 
and inside the boxes, all the boxes form the table legs because that was a great way to keep them out of the way <laughs> and still be useful at the same time. And a lot of them also now house my new Christmas Village collection, which I only started last Christmas. If I ever move house, I'm unlikely to need to buy or source packing boxes. So I have thousands of stories from Peru, but I cannot tell you that you're all in the book or today. But I, ha I highly recommend Peru. It has history, ruins, trains, vast scenery, mysteries in the Nazca lines, and animal safaris. Truly, everything you must go and you must eat Lomel Saltado and Picaronis every single day. And don't forget the potatoes. Peru has more varieties of potatoes than anywhere in the world. So as a potato lover myself, I was in heaven. You just cannot even imagine the shapes and colors that potatoes come in. So whether it's seeing it in the market or you're seeing it on your dinner plate, my favorite was these little they were yellow with sort of ridges on them, so they almost looked like bumblebees. Yum, yum, yum. But let's change the topic now. So the actual stories in the book start with the end of the storm chasing tour. So I've talked a lot about the storm chasing tour. I will admit I was very sort of sad to see the end of the tour. We were a motley crew, but I was going to miss the motley crew that I just spent the previous two weeks with. So as I left them in Oklahoma, I added at the last minute, so the trip had already been booked and then a work workshop that I'd always wanted to do suddenly came up a couple of days after I was meant to sort of leave America. So I ended up changing my flight back from LA to Melbourne, postponing it for a couple of days so I could add on this workshop. So I flew from Oklahoma to Los Angeles and then I bought a flight from Los Angeles to Las Vegas. Now, during the trip, I had qualified for Qantas Gold status, which is equivalent to One World Sapphire status, which I was so happy about. So this was the first chance I had to use that status. And I had no idea what I was doing or what I was eligible for. So when I wasn't charged for my baggage, I really thought I was getting away with something that I shouldn't have been getting away with. And I still remember walking away from the desk, expecting someone to chase after me and insist I pay. I'd planned on paying. I had the credit card in my hand, <laughs> but no one charged me any money. And I worked out later that it was because of my gold status. I got free luggage, which is quite useful in America. So eventually I make it to Las Vegas um, and to find a line. Like I know Las Vegas never sleeps, but I was exhausted with time changes and everything. It was quite late. And I was standing in line for about an hour and a half. A couple of times I tried to sort of skip out of line and use, there were some little computers for checking in, but it, nothing that I had in my emails or anything seemed to fit what that machine needed to check in. 
So that's why I know nobody notified me about a change in my booking status. So I was very surprised when after an hour and a half standing in line, very tired, just wanting to go to bed, where I was told, no, you don't have a booking with us. What? But no, I had a booking. They had just upgraded me. Very fancy. So June is a month for upgrades, it seems. So I was upgraded to a hotel inside a hotel called the Nobu. So it wasn't, I mean, a beautiful hotel, a lovely upgrade, but it wasn't exactly what I want from Vegas. I like the vulgarity of Caesars and the overtopness and the Nobu was sort of Japanese elegance. So there's a big difference in expectations there, but you know, very nice of you. Thank you for the upgrade. It would have been nice to have been told about it because the Nobu had no line. (laughs) So I would have been in my hotel room roughly two hours earlier and pretty much as soon as I arrived. So the joys of travel, it gives and it takes. And I stayed at Caesars because the workshop that I was doing was being held in one of their sort of conference rooms. So it's obviously easy just to stay. And America always starts early, like eight o'clock in the morning. Why start workshops at eight o'clock in the morning? It's the same as schools, isn't it? They start at eight. So in Australia, we start most things at nine o'clock. So anything that starts before nine o'clock generally includes breakfast because you just, you don't start before nine o'clock, including school. All our schools start at nine o'clock or maybe quarter to nine sometimes, or some year levels will start a little bit earlier. So eight o'clock is always an early start for me, (laughs) but it was such a fun thing to do. And even my work colleagues think it's crazy or you're not allowed to use the word crazy now, apologies. Um, think it's ridiculous. There you go. That's a better word. Let's use ridiculous. But I personally think everybody should do it. And if I was in charge of something, whether it was education, management, whatever, not that I'm ever going to be doing any of those things, um, I would want to create my own version of this and make it mandatory for everybody to do it. So not just, obviously, definitely the junior nurses when they first arrive, but even new staff who've come from other hospitals because it is such a unique way. So basically adult equipment or adult-sized equipment is made by a medical company that makes equipment for babies. So you get to, so with your participants, one pretends to be the baby and the others are the nurses. And so when you're actually getting to be the baby, you are, you have no control. You just have to do whatever they're doing. They're moving your arms and their legs. And obviously in real life, they're sticking needles into you and sharp implements all over the place and uncomfortable tubes. And, and it's just, you can imagine, like even as an adult with adults over the top of me, it's quite confronting. So as a baby who is small compared to all these adult faces that are looking at you, it is really scary. And we need to, it changes how you do things if you actually look at it from the baby's perspective. So I'd heard lots about it and I really wanted to do it. And I was so excited that I got to do it when I just happened to be nearby anyway. And it was totally worth, you know, getting a spare day in Las Vegas. You know, I love my life that I could just, oh, I've just got a day off in Vegas. 
you know, as you do. But I did learn a lot from that workshop. And so it had all sorts of bonuses, that workshop. But don't worry if you're like shaking your head, rolling your eyes, thinking, why would you want to do that? Or that's just so weird. Don't worry because all my work colleagues think exactly the same thing. So the June chapter also holds, it's just a single date uh, in London in 1993. And it's the prequel to the February, that's a hard word to say, February the 4th date in the first six months where I'm visiting Heidelberg Castle. So in that story, I intimate there's more background and this is where in the month of June is where the full background story comes out. And it's, I have to admit that I haven't been able to replicate the scenario, the situation that happened there. I have returned since and it hasn't been the same. And I really would like to go back and see again. It was just how it all came about was just amazing. And in that moment, I really believed the portrait on the wall was me. And it did lead me down all sorts of research and interesting facts. So I have no regret for how it all turned out. But I guess a little bit of spoiler alert, but you're going to read the book But it was really interesting learning about the history and two family history stories, which, of course, as in two different sides of the family. So one from my dad's family and one from my mum's family. So that is highly unlikely to ever to ever meet, to actually be the same story. But it was just interesting that I had those two family history stories and then I got myself into a situation where it actually looked like they both could be true. So (laughs) that's a little interesting little story there that you can have a read of. But June is one of, I think it's the longest chapter in the second book, and a lot of that is from... The next couple of stories, which is all set in Australia in 2022. So Wilson's Promontory, or we just call it Wilson's Prom, and Tasmania, both road trips that I've done on my own in my own state of Victoria. And two places that I have never, ever, ever been to, despite their proximity. And even in my childhood, I've never been there. And I always kind of knew particularly Tasmania I would absolutely love, but still never made it there. So I was very excited. This was sort of early trips coming out, pandemic, hadn't done any international travel since then, and was the world was just sort of starting to, you know, open up a little bit, at least particularly for us Victorians who were locked down the most. Though I'm hoping China has taken over from us, <laughs> seeing as they've had lockdowns a lot more recently than we have. So Wilson's Prom came first. They were both in very they were both within a week of each other. And so Wilson's Prom was a bit of a warm-up, I guess, and a little bit of a test run, which didn't really help Tasmania, but anyway. But I was quite disappointed with a lot of the drive from Melbourne to Wilson's Prom. It was just too built up, too sort of industrial areas, sort of, it just took forever, like right near the end to actually get to country areas. So I found that a little bit disappointing. But driving everywhere in Tasmania was spectacular 
spectacular. Oh, it just, it completely blew me away from start to finish and I'm dying to go back. Like the coastline and the beaches and the orange algae on the rocks. I just, I love that orange hue that comes from that algae. And, you know, there was the potential for whales and there was waterfalls and trains and it was just, there was just so much to do. It's this tiny little island. We always joke about it being the island away from the mainland Australia, but it is absolutely spectacular. But I kind of made a bit of a booking mistake. So I guess I was a little bit out of practice, hadn't really done much in the way of travel planning and booking. And so when I, so I had everything sort of mapped out as in, right, I'm arriving on such and such a date and then I have this many days until I come home, which is all good. But I was forgetting that if I'm starting on this date, then I need to, if I'm catching the overnight ferry, then I need to book the ferry the day before so that I actually arrive on the expected date, (laughs) which I stuffed up when I was booking because I had the day I was arriving in Tasmania in my head. And so I just booked that day on the ferry. (laughs) And it wasn't until later that I realized, oops, I now have one less day in Tasmania. So luckily I hadn't I discovered that when I was starting to book the hotels and realized what I'd done. But it was also during that stage that, so when I was planning the itinerary, I was looking at going to a place called Maria Island. I just wanted to see the wombats. But um, they, they have one week a year where they close down the daily ferry for maintenance. And the winter timetable for the ferry and the date of this week of maintenance hadn't come out before I'd booked my ferry and planned my trip. So unfortunately, when I was going in and booking all the hotels now that I'd booked the ferry, the dates for Maria Island was up and it was, or Maria or Mariah, I'm not sure how it said, I say Maria, but it, and it was smack bang in the middle of my trip and there was just no way because it was such a big part like a full week as such and I sort of only had like half a week on either side there was no way I could rearrange everything to fit in getting the ferry either before it closed down or after it reopened so I had to cut that out of the trip but in one sense that ended up giving me one of the highlights of the trip. So to get to the island, I would have had to, I only had one day to stay in a national park nearby, which was uh, Freycinet or Freycinet. Again, I don't know how to say it. And so I booked one night in, in the hotel or one of the hotels inside the national park so that was easy so I could do walks on arrival and walks in the morning and all that sort of thing but without going to Maria Mariah Island I could have stayed an extra day so when I went back to try and add a second day to the hotel 
I discovered the hotel was completely sold out. So there was just nothing available, not even, you know, in a like I was just staying in the cheapest version or the cheapest room option, which of course often sells out first. So instead I just stayed with the one night and I booked at a town sort of nearby. So it was only about a 40 minute drive away. So I could still spend the whole day in the park if I needed to, and then just do the last little bit of a drive for the second night. So there must have been, I'm assuming there was people who arrived who wanted to pay for a room, but they only wanted to pay for one of the cheapest style rooms. And so they were given my room. Again, I'm assuming they wanted to stay for maybe two or three days. And so therefore that was a good booking to keep. Three days even in the cheapest room is better than my one night in the cheapest room. But because of that, and I'm just, this is all just made up in my head because <laughs> I'm good at that. <laughs> um I got the best upgrade you could possibly imagine. My original hotel price was around the 200 or 200, 200 something dollars mark. And I ended up, even the receptionist was just like in shock. Like he, could, he was struggling to check me in because he couldn't believe the upgrade I'd received. So the room, I was upgraded to what they called a pavilion. I had no idea what that meant until I actually saw it. <laughs> but a pavilion cost 600 and something dollars per night with a minimum of a two night stay. So you're looking at 12 to 1300 dollars for a stay, whereas my stay was only costing me and I only paid around the 200, say, let's say 230 dollar mark. <laughs> so we're talking triple the price for one night and then you had to stay or at least pay for two nights. So I kind of feel like they had some they could have got a longer booking at a cheaper uh, room and they had a one night gap in between bookings of two nights. So well of course, why not give the one night person the upgrade and make some money? <laughs> but <laughs> all the extras and everything that I got seriously, I don't know. I they, I mean, it must work out in their favor. But even the staff were very confused because you get hand-delivered chocolates. And so the staff member who hand-delivered the chocolates was like, couldn't believe that I'd got the upgrade as well. So it was obviously not something that happens very often. I did indulge in a little fantasy of, oh, they've seen my blog. This was at the stage where I hadn't written the book yet, but I was writing weekly blogs on my webpage, which obviously later became the book. <laughs> and I was imagining they'd seen my blog and they were treating me like a travel influencer. And that's why they gave me the upgrade. So I'd write and advertise the hotel on my blog and that this would be my life from now on, all these magical upgrades that I didn't have to pay for. <laughs> But I think the first scenario is the most likely. But like I said, I have absolutely no idea. And obviously the staff, even the one checking me in, there was obviously no note there saying why or how I got the upgrade. But this place, oh, 
I mean, I'm so glad I arrived early enough in the day to actually enjoy it rather than arriving at like seven, eight o'clock at night. So I kind of had, I got to see the full sun. I got to explore and I got to see the full sunset and it was, every sunset was incredible in Tasmania. But this particular night, it was extra magical with the sky was just red and against the trees and it was overlooking water and the black of the pavilion the pavilion walls were all this black it just really stood out and I'm sitting there I'd made myself a hot chocolate I've got like 10,000 layers on because it was freezing and the hot chocolate was keeping my hands warm And I had this whole private deck area watching this glorious sunset. And then partway through, I got hand-delivered chocolates. I mean, seriously, (laughs) how is that not just amazing? We also got uh, whiskey. You get free whiskey as part of the pavilion stay, but I don't drink alcohol, so that didn't really add anything for me. But it was just a magical building, like, on the inside, there was a lot. So there was a lot of black, but there was also wood everywhere. So the walls was all wood panelled. But it, I didn't realise at first that there were cupboards and things built behind the wood. So I end up going walking down the corridor, pushing every little piece of wood, looking for extra cubby holes. And there were cubby holes everywhere. And they held all sorts of things from... Uh, There were yoga mats, there were board games, there were books on Tasmania. They had a a flip chart of eucalyptus trees or gum trees. I had no idea there were over 200 varieties of gum trees. Now, during this trip and the Wilson's prom trip, I really discovered a passion for the Australian gum tree. Like, they are just... Oh, I I don't know. They just make my heart sing. Like I know there's there are you know oh yeah. I just love the gum trees. And so they have this flip chart of all the different types, well, not all the different types, but the main types of gum trees. And I took lots of photos so I could use them for future reference. And later. I would have bought one if I'd found one, but I couldn't find one. I found the poo flip chart, as in the animal scat flip chart, which I did buy. (laughs) Um, But I would have happily also paid for the eucalyptus flip chart because that would be amazing just to have in the car and look. And I've always won, like all the trees are ever so slightly different, but I just thought that was the unique in the bark and all that sort of thing. But they are actually different varieties. So hence why everyone is so different. And that's one of the things I love about them. You never know exactly what color range you're going to get. And the other thing about being in the pavilion is that you got room service. So there was no room service to any of the other hotel room classifications. So everything you had to walk. It wasn't, it's like sort of lots of, they're not cabins, but there's lots of different individual buildings around and you have to walk to the main building to get to where the restaurant and reception and places and little shops and stuff are like. So I would have had to leave my warmth of my building, of my room, <laughs> you know, get all rugged up and then walk across or I guess potentially drive to the main building 
to have dinner so, and breakfast in the morning. And the guy at reception really tried to convince me to come over for breakfast, saying it was a much better breakfast um, in the main dining room than anything that gets sent to my room. But I was not leaving this pavilion. So I had room service dinner and I had room service breakfast. And I was perfectly happy with room service breakfast. You'll hear all about the details in the book. But it's funny, after all this luxury and everything, but I still had to use an old boarding school trick to melt the butter enough to spread it (laughs) by putting it on the kettle. So, you know, luxury is one thing, but there's nothing wrong with a bit of life smarts and stuff in there as well. So you can't always have luxury and you obviously occasionally want some luxury. (laughs) But mixing the two is quite a good combination. But of course, the whole trip wasn't luxurious. Um, And unfortunately, it wasn't always comfortable. So not long before I went to Wilson's prom, I broke my toe. So combination of pandemic and also being upside down for night shift, I had this little course that I'd made around the house to get my steps in. So, you know, two o'clock in the morning, I'm doing figure of eights in the lounge room and going walking around to the laundry and back around into the spare bedroom and all sorts of things, you know, constantly round and round in this circuit in order to get my steps up. And I used to get quite good speed up at times, but I'm not the neatest person in the world and there's often obstacles on the floor. And one of those obstacles, obviously leading up to trips, is my suitcase. And my suitcase has quite sort of chunky wheels on them. And somehow, as I was walking very quickly around the house to get my steps up, I got my toe straight into the wheel of the suitcase. Oh my goodness. There were swear words. There was silence. There was like, I don't know, mouth gagging. There was everything. It hurt so much. Like I didn't actually realize it was broken to start with. And I've never had it confirmed, to be honest. But from the pain and the amount of time it took to heal, it was broken. But I know they don't really do much for broken toes or broken fingers for that matter. Um, So I didn't bother doing anything about it. Obviously, I was going away as well in a few days time. So me and my broken toe, which I've never broken a toe before, I've broken the, well, potentially the little finger and my ankle, but I'd never broken a toe. But I did know that they didn't really do anything for it. So, but right before a walk to walking holiday, it's like the timing was just ridiculous. And I think I'm still suffering effects from that today. My knee is um, playing up. And I think part of it was because my so-called good foot, because my left foot, which is where the broken toe was, has always been my good foot, which has supported my right foot. And with two bad feet, my knee has decided to take the take the strain so or it could just be age or it could just be both who knows but it hurt so try not to break your toe before you go on walking holidays (laughs) 
but the other little thing about this trip is, and I don't know why, I mean, I'm a little bit of a closet prepper. I do, I have seen every episode of that preppers TV show. I just, some of those people are a little bit crazy. Oh, I'm not allowed to use the word crazy. They're not allowed to use the C word. There's a new C word in town, people. Um, a little bit strange. But <laughs> I the underlying principle is kind of a good idea. So, I mean, my style of prepping is to make sure I've always got cereal and UHT milk. So if all the electricity and power goes out, I can have cereal. I have extra bottles of water around the house. So if the water is contaminated or, again, the water pump, the electricity is gone, I still have plenty of water to drink and clean clean myself with and stuff like that. But when I was packing for both Wilson's Prom and then later Tasmania, I seemed to be absolutely positive that at some point during those trips, I was going to be stuck somewhere without electricity. And so I had food that I could eat. So again, I had the cereal and the UHT milk, obviously, but then I had tin spaghetti, which I'll happily eat out of a tin cold. And I had f- like fresh fruit and I had fruit cups and just things that I could eat that were, you know, on the healthy side of life. Not too healthy, but, you know, partly healthy that I could eat. So I had nutrition and stuff. And of course, I didn't lose electricity at any point. I didn't get stuck in the car anywhere and have no access to anywhere to buy food or anything like that. But for some reason, I I had everything in case something happened. But I really would like to buy myself. So all these van lifers and stuff, of course, all the four-wheel drivers, campers, all the, the, the power packs where you can plug all sorts of things into. And you can buy, because I love my electric rug, which came with me both to Wilson's Prom and Tasmania. They saved me multiple times, that lovely electric rug. But they have 12-volt electric rugs. So I could plug a 12-volt electric rug into one of those power packs. So if I was stuck in my car somewhere in snow, mountainous Tasmania or in the middle of nowhere, Wilson's Prom, I could still be warm. And can you imagine me just sitting there (laughs) under my electric rug eating cold tin spaghetti straight out of the tin? Yeah, that'd be me. And I'd be as, you know, happy as a pig in mud, really. (laughs) That's just who I am. So seriously, if you haven't laughed at me during this episode, then you're never going to laugh at me because I've done some crazy things. Oh, and I kept turning the heater on and off. Every time I stopped, I'd turn the heater on because it was cold and and then <laughs> I'd forget to turn it off again. So the audio cleaning up software that I use is going to be working overtime on this episode and I can't wait to hear what it sounds like once it's finished its job. But that's enough jabbering on from me for a week. It's been a bit of a long one again. Sorry about that. But like I said, the June chapter is one of the biggest in the book. And there's just so many really different (laughs) stories in the month of June. Um, So next week, I think I'm going to be, it's going to be back to a bit of the writing, self-publishing side of life. 
where I'm going to go a little bit more into all the AI stuff that's out at the moment. So all the artificial intelligence. I don't know if it's as big in everyone else's world at the moment, obviously, because a lot of what I'm doing is writing based. And there's so all the targeted ads and things that Google and Facebook can make up for you these days is about things to do with writing and self-publishing and the whole self-publishing world and writer's world are panicking about artificial intelligence taking their jobs. And there has been some evidence that some people have lost their job because of it. And also some have been rehired. (laughs) So AI is not a one-stop shop, but it definitely can help in some areas and I can see how some businesses might be able to save some money by using AI. But so I'll have I'll talk into it. There's a couple of programs that I've been looking into um, and which I actually yeah so I'll start I'll talk to you a little bit about that from a new writer's perspective and just what they're like. So that'll be next week. Um, If by some chance that isn't what happened, that week or the week after will be readings from the June chapter, which I've been talking about today. So it'll most likely be AI, but if it's not, it could be the readings from, from the book. So I hope you've enjoyed listening to stories about from the June chapter. So don't forget, you can buy the second six months book Um, starting from about the 23rd of July and but also don't forget that you you know it's not a bad idea to read the first six months first which is available now there's a lot of links direct links to varying purchasing options on my website so I now have a page for the first six months and a page for the second six months so you can go directly to one or the other obviously the second six months only has a picture of the cover and no purchasing links as yet but that will be updated as things go on so obviously there's all sorts of other things at the website as well so don't forget to have a look around you've got the photos which will go through a bit of an upgrade just before the book comes out second book comes out as well because the new photos will be up uploaded for you to see and I might get them out early so you can get a sneak peek into the photos so listen out for when that might be happening and basically thank you very much for listening I do hope and I am going to assume that something did make you smile or laugh today but that was the whole point so please laugh at me (laughs) I'm definitely laughable or I think so or maybe I'm not laughable I don't know but no I think there's some funny things going on in there and yes I'm definitely a funny thing and I don't mind calling myself crazy so but I will try and not use the crazy word for anyone else but I'm perfectly happy to call myself crazy because I am a little bit crazy and there's multiple uh, definitions for crazy in the dictionary trust me I've looked them up. All right. For some reason, I'm on a real tangent today. So (laughs) let's end here because you never know what I'm going to say next. So thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it and I hope you come back and listen to more next week. And besides all of that, I wish for you an interesting day.